Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. And before we actually, as you're kind of turning there, I'm going to do a, uh, something that I feel like is uh, going to be useful, I think, to all of us this morning. Well, I hope it is. Um, and I thought it would be helpful. We're going to nerd out just for a little bit. And so, uh, so what I mean by that is we're going to go to school, if you guys don't mind. And just by your look at your faces, a lot of us don't like to go to school. I can see it. So uh, I said, as soon as I say go to school, everyone's just looking at me. So we are going to go over some important theological terms. So if you're a note taker, you might like this. Uh, if you're a test taker, you might like this. If you're not really into school, I hope you still like this. But before we actually get into chapter four, I actually want to go over some useful kind of vocabulary words or theological terms that I think are really helpful for us um, as believers and followers of Christ. Now, if you're in this room today and you're not a follower of Christ, these words will still be helpful for you to kind of grasp and understand a little bit more about our faith. And if I'm being honest with you, I, I have a bit of concern um, I know we're in a church, and this isn't a seminary, but I have a bit of concern, and let me just explain to you what my concern is. If we ignore terms and concepts that help us understand and articulate our faith, then we're going to become more susceptible to attack and to doubt. And so one of my fears is to have a church full of so-called Christians um, who don't truly grasp or understand what it means to have saving faith. And so when somebody asks you, are you saved? And you just kind of give the obligatory, yes, I'm saved. Well, then what are you saved from? And how are you saved? Could you answer that question? And if you find it difficult to answer, how am I saved? Then I think this opportunity or this moment is for you. And, um, and that's why I think it's so important for us to kind of grasp some of these concepts and some of these terms. So um, let's take a moment to break out the flashcards and, uh, and just kind of jump into these terms that I think will be uh, really important and valuable for us. And so the first term that I want to go over that we have been seeing throughout uh, the book of Romans thus far is the term righteousness, is the term righteousness. And you may hear that a lot. What does it mean to be righteous? Um, righteousness is what a holy God demands of us. Righteousness is what a holy God demands of us. Now, for us to achieve righteousness, are you ready for this? For us to achieve righteousness, we must perfectly keep all God's laws all the time, every day, every moment for our entire lives. Now listen, because God himself is righteous and because God himself is just, Anything that falls short of his righteousness deserves wrath. Because God is righteous, but also because God is just, anything that falls short of his righteousness deserves his wrath. Are you with me? 
The second term that has popped up, and I believe Roger did a great job last week that has popped up that the Apostle Paul has used that I think is really important in order for us to understand our salvation and articulate our faith is propitiation. Propitiation. Now, what does that mean? It's kind of a big word, but let me explain what it means. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. It's God's wrath being satisfied. So it's the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So God is angry and his wrath comes against sin and Jesus Christ has been put on the cross as a substitutionary atonement. In other words, he is our substitute. Instead, you should be on that cross, but Jesus said, I will take the wrath of God for you. And on that cross, he took the wrath of God for our sins and it became a propitiation. Are you with me? Okay, next term. And this term's actually gonna show up today is imputation, imputation. Now, imputation is God accrediting to us Christ's righteousness, though we are still sinners. Let me put these two kind of terms together so they make sense. Are you ready? Propitiation is this. On the cross, Christ, though righteous, was regarded as a sinner and punished as one. Are you with me? Let me say that again, propitiation. On the cross, Jesus Christ, though righteous, are you with me? Was regarded as a sinner and punished as one. Now, here's imputation. God did that so that you and I, those sinners, would be regarded as righteous and treated as if we lived Christ's perfect life. Do you see that? So two things happen in your salvation. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross, two things happen. Number one is your sin debt was put onto Christ and he bore your wrath. And so you have no more sin debt. But then the second thing is Christ's righteous perfection was then imputed to you so that God looks at you and treats you as, you as if you live Christ's perfect life. Are you with me? And finally, number four, and this is the term that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans is really highlighting, and that is justification. Justification. And what is justification? Justification is a change in status. And I don't, I don't mean like single to married, Right? Justification is a change in status or legal standing. Um, It's God, are you ready? It's God declaring a sinner righteous, not because they are, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, but because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So when when you are justified by faith, what Paul is saying is the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God declares you righteousness even though you're still a sinner. Do you understand that? Now, here's the question. How could God remain integrous by calling you righteous when you're not, right? That would make God a liar, wouldn't that? Like if God called you righteous right now and you're not and you're a sinner, which all of us are, 
then he would be a liar. So how does he maintain his integrity by calling you righteous when you're not? Well, the answer is it's because you have put your faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And Christ has given you what? His righteousness. And so when the father looks down on you, he sees the perfect life that Christ lived. Are you with me? Amen. So when somebody asks you, how are you saved? Your answer should be this. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? All right. Now, like I said, if you've been following along with our series, uh, you, you would have realized that in the first three chapters, Paul, who's the author of Romans, Paul has made the bad news really clear. Like no one, here's the bad news. Are you ready? No one can save themselves. Our sins run deeper, wider, and further than any of us could have ever thought of or imagined. And Paul spent the first three chapters of Romans proving to you just how bad you are. Like, and some of you in here might, well, I'm a little sinner and he's a big sinner. No, Paul says, no, there's no such thing as a little sinner or a big sinner. In the presence of an infinitely perfect God, all of us stand guilty. And Paul spent three chapters, and you guys have been hanging with me, right? Giving you that bad news over and over and over again. Now, last week, at the end of chapter three, thank God for Pastor Roger, amen? Pastor Roger, and so aptly, I'm the bad news guy. He's the good news guy, right? <laughs> it's like, why, why did you bring Pastor Roger on? Well, he's good cop on bad cop. Just kidding. We don't play that game here. But, uh, but in a very loving way, Pastor Roger delivered a message of hope to those of us who have been just coming every Sunday hearing bad news. And he spoke hope into our weary hearts, didn't he? And, and this, is, this is what was spoken. Even though we cannot save ourselves, there is an alien righteousness. When I say alien, I don't mean E.T., Okay. What I mean by alien righteousness, there is a righteousness outside of you. There is an alien righteousness that has been made available to us by faith through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. So when we say, God, make your gospel known, when we say we declare the gospel, when we say preach the gospel to yourself, what we are saying is this, I, even though I am a sinner, have been given the righteousness of Christ. And when I placed my faith and trust in him, he took on the wrath that I deserved and he gave me his perfection so that now when God looks at me, he doesn't treat me as a sinner damned for hell, but he treats me as if I lived the perfect life that Christ lived. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Amen? So today we're going to step into chapter four. And here's what Paul's been doing. I think he did this last week with, when Pastor Roger spoke, but the Apostle Paul theoretically broke down the gospel. I just gave you a bunch of terms. But now Paul's saying, I'm going to go from theoretically breaking it down to giving you a practical example. I am going to explain to you how the gospel, I'm going to explain to you how somebody is saved, and I'm going to explain to you, and I'm going to explain to you through a personal story of somebody's life. And that life is the life of the Old Testament father, Abraham, okay? So if you're taking notes, Paul's gonna show us that God's gospel is God's idea 
not his. It's God's work and not ours. And finally, he's going to show us what our part to play in this whole process is. Amen? So we're going to take this journey together. The gospel, the justification by faith is God's idea, not Paul's. Justification by faith is God's work, not ours. And finally, we'll conclude by saying, okay, well, what role do we have to play in this story? Are you with me? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together, and then we will jump into the message. Romans chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 12. Amen. Scripture reads like this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, or the word imputed, as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, referring to Abraham. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, I know it got a little dense towards the end there, but let me explain this for you. Are you ready? Number one, first, Paul wants his readers to know that justification by faith alone is God's idea and not his own. Paul is saying, hey, I'm writing you this letter to tell you that you are saved, you are justified, you are made right by God. The only way that you can get to heaven is not by good works, but by faith in Christ alone. Paul says, I'm writing this letter to tell you this. But, but Paul says, um, some of you think that this is a new idea. Some of you think that I'm making this up. And so Paul is communicating to Jewish Christians in Rome who were being harassed by other Jews who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. You see, the Jews believe that you are saved by your works, The Jews believe that the only way that you could be in good standing, right standing with God, is if you obeyed the Mosaic law. 
And so the Jews that would come to Christ would come to him by faith alone, but the Jews who rejected Christ would look at their brethren and say, what are you doing? You're following a cult. You need to make sure you are saved by the law. Are you with me? So the Jews that rejected the Messiah, they contested the legitimacy of the gospel by discrediting it as some kind of new idea that Paul just made up that was subversive to the God of their scriptures. Now, let me just say this. Although they were very much misguided, their concern is actually legitimate. You see, no Jew would accept a teaching that contradicted the Torah. No Jew would accept the teaching that contradicted the Torah, but also rebelled against Yahweh. And, and can I just say this? In many ways, we as Christians actually can relate with that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, if you encounter a philosophy, if you encounter a theology, if you encounter an ideology, a, a, a human reasoning that contradicts what the scripture has revealed, you are called to reject it. We have too many Oprah Christians in this room, too many YouTube Christians in this room. Because you don't know the word, because you don't know the terms of your salvation, you are easily duped by somebody with charisma that can formulate their words well. And we say, that's good, and that's great, and we follow preachers and speakers and philosophies and ideologies that are demonic. But because we don't understand salvation and we don't understand the terms of it, we're willing to accept it, place it all together, and call it Christianity. Some of you are frustrated in your Christian walk because you're walking in a mix of other beliefs, and you're calling it Christianity. Are you with me? And so in some ways, we can relate with the Jews because the Jews said, hey, no new philosophy or idea can enter into our belief system if it contradicts what God has already said in his, in his word to us. And so we can understand that. So what does Paul do? Well, in an effort to prove, are you ready for this? In an effort to prove that the gospel is not a new idea, in an effort to prove that the gospel isn't something that he just suddenly made up, Paul says, okay, I'm going to prove it to you in your own scriptures. He says, I'm going to prove that justification by faith alone is in your Torah. In fact, I'm not only going to do that, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to prove it through Abraham. And I'm going to prove it through King David. Two of your most revered and favorite heroes of your faith, Abraham and David, I'm going to prove it to you through your scriptures and through your favorite forefathers that justification by faith alone has already been there. Are you with me? So Paul says this, number one, look at what was said about Abraham, the one you Jews call father and founder of your faith. Look at what Genesis 15, 6 says about Abraham. And Paul says this, and he believed the Lord and he what? Counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, and that belief was counted to him or credited to him as what? As righteousness. It didn't say that Abraham did all these things. Abraham obeyed the laws. Abraham did all these things. Abraham what? He believed. Then Paul continues, and Paul says, now look at the greatest king in your history, King David. Look what King David said in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. 
Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Listen, blessed is the man against whom the Lord, what? Counts no iniquity. Now, this may seem like no big deal to us, but this is like a drop the mic moment for Paul, okay? All of us are sitting here, okay, that's great. But if you are understanding the context and who he's, you don't want to get into a debate with Paul. You hear me? Like Paul is a great debater. Like whether he's debating Greek philosophers or whether he's debating Judaizers in their own scriptures, Paul is a great debater. You don't want to debate the Apostle Paul. This is a drop the mic moment. Now, here's what I have to do. I have to bring everyone in this room in 2019 back to the time when this letter was written because there's a disconnect and it's hard for us to see, well, what's so big about that? But let me explain to you why that was so important. Paul proved to the Jews with their own scriptures, using their own favorite faith fathers, that God's people were saved. Are you ready for this? In the Old Testament, the same that they were saved in the New Testament. Did you know that? Did you know that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people have always been saved the same way? And how were they saved? Are you ready? By faith alone. Now, <laughs> this is a little mind-blowing right here, maybe for some of us. Did you know that Abraham was saved by faith alone in Christ alone? Now, how could this be possible? Jesus wasn't even around yet, right? But this, God, listen, God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. God also promised Abraham that through his seed, the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now watch, are you ready for this? Abraham believed God. And Abraham not only believed God, but he looked forward to what we all now look back at. Listen, Abraham looked forward to someone who would come and bless the world. Who was that? Jesus. We look back at somebody who already came and blessed the world. Here's what Paul's doing to the Jews. Again, all of us in this room may not be a big idea, but if you were a Jew in that time having this debate, it was a mic drop moment. Paul is saying through your scriptures and through your father Abraham that God has and always will save by faith alone in Christ alone. Here's what's gonna blow your mind. Abraham was a Christian. Secondly, secondly, Paul wants his readers to know that justification by faith alone is, are you ready for this? God's work, not ours. It's God's work. It's not our work. For the rest of our lives, we should always be prepared to fight off the temptation to believe that we had something to do with our salvation. For the rest of our lives, you will always have to fight off this reoccurring thought that somehow you attracted or earned God's grace. For the rest of your life, whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a Christian, you will always have to fight off religiosity that would well up and cause you to believe that somehow you're special and others are not. 
for the rest of our lives. And Abraham serves as a constant reminder to us. You see, nowhere in Scripture was Abraham ever commended for living a perfectly righteous life. You want to know something about Abraham? In fact, when we launched this church, we actually went through a study of Abraham. It was called The Journey. Abraham lied. He cheated. He used his wife to save himself. His entire journey was riddled with failure. But one night, while looking up at the stars, God spoke to him. God promised him, and guess what? He believed God. I believe you. God told him that he'd have as many descendants as the stars, even though he was old and he and his wife considered their bodies as good as dead. Some of you are like, I'm 38. I'm not having another baby. Well, try being over 100. (laughs) Actually, she laughed and got in trouble for that, so don't laugh. (laughs) But you can understand why she laughed. But you know what scripture says? Even though his wife didn't believe, Abraham said, God, I believe. I believe. I believe that I am, even though I don't see myself ever having any children, we haven't had children. I'm sure he's tried. But I believe, I believe, God, that I'm going to have as many children as the stars. And that through, through this, through these descendants will come one who will bless the earth. I believe. I believe. Now, let me say say something. So what made Abraham right in the sight of the Lord? It was not his perfection, but it was his trust. It was his trust. The moment he believed God, his debt was cleared. And scripture tells us, not me, not Paul, righteousness was what credited to his accounts. We must never forget and always remember that that is how God saves. That is how God saves. You with me? Can I just say this? Two things happen to a heart that forgets the gospel, right? We must never forget, right? And we are tempted always to forget. In fact, there are times when we do forget and we walk it out in in this way. But let me just say this to you. Two things happen to a heart that forgets the gospel. Are you ready? Number one, it fills you with pride. And number two, it causes you to lose your wonder. It fills you with pride and causes you to lose your wonder. Two things happen when you forget the gospel. It fills you with pride and causes you to lose your wonder. Let me break that down just for a moment. It fills you with pride. Paul says, believing that we actually had a part to play in our salvation is just as absurd as believing that we could stand before the creator of this universe and boast and brag before him. He tells the Jews, like, if you believe that Abraham did it in his own works, if you believe that Abraham was saved by obeying the law, and even though, you know, here's the thing is, the law wasn't even around when Abraham was there. And so what the Jews would say and what rabbis would say is that Abraham obeyed the law that was on his heart perfectly. But Paul flips it on them and says, let me ask you something. Could you ever see yourself standing before the creator of the universe and saying, (laughs) I got something to tell you. Did you ever see yourself standing in front of the creator of the universe bragging and boasting about how good you are? And the Jews would say, that's absurd. And then Paul would say, mic drop. Well, that's just as absurd as saying that Abraham could save himself. Could you imagine Abraham telling God, hey, you need me on your team. 
Can you imagine that? You laugh, but that's how some of you act. Like, God, you need me on your team. Like, your prayers are all about how God needs you. Do you know who I am, God? Could you imagine Abraham thinking, God, I've earned this. I deserve this. If we think our works save us, then we'll think we actually have something to boast about. Now, you might be thinking, are you ready? That's not me. (laughs) I'm not in danger of that. But in love... (laughs) I want to respond by asking you some challenging questions, okay? So, you you know, I always say, put on your seatbelts. Like, this is ding. I think, you know, we ever move into building, I'm just going to have us install seatbelts. So they just be ding, and come on, seatbelt. This is your captain speaking. It's about to get really turbulent. If you're a Christian, you're going to get beat up. If you're not, just sit there and laugh or, you know, whatever the case may be for a moment. Um, But just hear me out just for a second, okay? Put your seatbelts on. Um, um, Yeah, you don't have to laugh, Amen. Um, you might be thinking, that's not me. I'm not in danger of that. I'm not boasting. I don't think God needs me. But here's how I want to challenge you. How come I don't see any humility being produced out of your life then? You see, a disciple of Christ who truly trusts the gospel should demonstrate forgiveness. How come it's so hard for us to forgive them? A disciple of Christ who truly trusts the gospel should demonstrate a willingness to be corrected. But how come the church is full of people that get so offended when somebody wants to correct them? I wonder about our brand of Christianity. Don't you ever wonder about that? No one, no one likes to be held accountable anymore, right? Everyone is triggered when they're corrected. God forbid someone confronts you on an issue of sin in your life. And right away, we don't want to hear it. We even threaten to leave the church. Like, we feel like we have the audacity to protect ourselves when someone is coming to you lovingly and gently. Now, there's ways that people do it that aren't not lovingly and gently whatsoever. So I'm not giving anyone a license to be a jerk. But lovingly and challenging, we should accept people, not step away from people who are going to what? Who are going to hold you accountable. I think I've said this, I say this a lot, but... And I actually just reposted something that really spoke to me on Twitter the other day, but it's just this. Get yourself some friends that aren't trying to please you, but please God. Right? You're out there sinning, living your life. You're out there doing your thing. And you call yourself a Christian, yet you are continually manifesting behavior sin. And you got Christian friends that are around you that are actually just letting you do it, having a good time. And nobody has sat you down and looked you in the eye and said, I'm concerned for your soul. I mean, what is love these days? What is love? What is love? Now, I know it's tough, right? Because some of you in here says, I've been that person. You know what happens? You get ostracized. Guess what? You don't get invited out next time. Right? Some of you laugh because you know that's, that's me. <laughs> I don't go anywhere anymore. Right. And now there's two things. Now, like I said, don't be a jerk. Right. Like some of you are just a jerk. Right. Right. Like we don't want to be jerky Christians. But let me just say this. Like if, if you're struggling in life and you look at your closest friends and they're not confronting you with your sin, you should question whether your friends really love you in the gospel. And maybe if you don't have any friends like that, maybe you should look at why you're surrounding yourself with that, because there's a hint of rebellion going on inside of you. I said seatbelts, right? Let's make sure I said that. How about this? 
you may say, well, I don't boast, I, I, I don't brag, but I, but I don't live in humility. I, I can't stand being corrected. Well, then there's an issue there. How about this? There's no gratitude in your life. So you don't boast and you don't brag, but you don't look like a person who's gra- who has any gratitude. No gratitude in your life. See, a disciple of Christ who truly trusts the gospel should be thankful. I mean, I've heard Christians say, I got nothing to be thankful for. And I'm like, wow. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. I've heard Christians say, I'm mad at God. What? You're mad at the God of the universe who has justified you by faith alone and has took on the full penalty of God's wrath. And we have the audacity to be mad at him. Why? Because he didn't give us what we felt we deserved. There you go. You see what that religiosity does? There's no gratitude, right? Sometimes our life in Christ is characterized by more grumbling, right? We're grumblers and complainers. And I have to say this. Sometimes our life is characterized by grumbling and not praising. We're wild excuse makers, aren't we? You may say you believe your salvation is by faith and not works. Yet I think sometimes our actions and attitudes demonstrate something different. Some, sometimes our attitudes and actions demonstrate we feel like we're somebody who, is, who God what, owes us. You owe us. You owe us. Why did this happen to me? Why did you do this? Why did, right? Don't we do that? And I get it. It's human to do that. And I think there's a certain place in which the Lord invites us to process with him and we ask questions. But I want you to know, just like Job, when you ask a question, be prepared because God is going to answer. Amen? Number two. Two things. When we forget about the gospel, number one, we're filled with pride and boast. We think we've earned, we deserve. God, why haven't you done this? But here's the second thing. When we forget how God has saved us, we're not only filled with pride, but we lose a sense of wonder. Can, can, we're finishing here. Can, you, can everyone just try their best to lean in this last couple of minutes here? Look at what Paul tells us. He says, when you depend on your works to save you, salvation becomes a wage. Did you see that? Salvation becomes a wage. So when your works save you, you do the work and then you're paid in what? Salvation. So salvation is a wage. It's something we earn. And what do we know about wages? Wages are nice, but wages are expected. Don't we expect a wage? I mean, you work for a wage. So when you receive a wage, you don't just get surprised. Like it doesn't shock you, right? When you get your paycheck, I mean, you look at your paycheck, you'd be happy about that. But for the most part, you earned it. You worked for it. It's a wage. It doesn't surprise you. It doesn't shock you. It's not unexpected, You have earned it. There's no joy in getting paid your wage, but only a sense that I deserved it and I better get it. In fact, if you work and you don't get a wage for it, you're just blowing up. You guys see what Paul's doing here? Listen, wage living is passionless living. Wage living refuses to be sacrificial because it only lives for itself. And I've said this before, American Christianity, and can I just say this, Bay Area Christianity? You ready for this? We only have time to do me. 
so busy. It's so expensive out here, right? We're wild excuse makers. We only have time to live for me. It's about my comfort, my purpose, my world. That's wage living. That's wage living. But I'm going to invite the team to come up. When you remember the gospel, you ready for this? When you remember the gospel, you go from wage living to wonder living again. When salvation is no longer a wage, it's a gift. Y'all hear me on that? When salvation is no longer a wage, it's a gift. We must go from salvation being wage earning to gift receiving. You see, a gift is unexpected. It's undeserving. Gifts well up gratitude. Gratitude gets stronger. Routine gets weaker. Passion ignites. And the desire to live for something bigger than yourself begins to take place and take root. Wonder living is a life lived in response to God's unfathomable love. Wonder living is a life, a response, a response to God's unfathomable love. When you're wage living, you've earned it, and therefore there is no wonder. You see, wonder living, you freely give away because God freely gave away to you. Everything is done out of wonder. Everything is done out of wonder. Wonder towards the goodness of God. I wonder how could someone, how could someone as good and perfect as him love me? Wonder how shocking. Wonder how surprising. Uh, wonder how, how unexpected. I am sinful. I am rebellious. But the gospel is so wondrous. Wonder living. Wonder. I wonder how, why, how deep, how wide, how unimaginable is the love of God for me. I wonder. So when it comes to our salvation, what part do we have to play? What part do we play in this story? Well, we believe we repent and we live in gospel wonder. That's the story for the rest of your life. We believe, we repent, and we live in gospel wonder. Let me say that again. You may say, well, I'm ready to move on to greater things. And Paul would say, no, this is the great thing. Well, no, what, what about the gifts of the Spirit, God? And what about the prophetic? And what about intercessory warfare? And all that? Yeah, yeah, that's great. But you know what? You never go beyond. You never go beyond the gospel. You believe, you repent, and you live in wonder. Well, you may say, well, why do I always believe? Because we always have a tendency not to believe. So we believe again. You may say, well, why do I need to repent? Well, because you are always figuring out a way to sin. So we what? Repent again. You may say, well, why do we need to live in gospel wonder? Because if we do, don't, we will live wage living. Wage living. Everything will be based out of a wage mindset. You won't evangelize. You don't share the gospel at work. When was the last time you shared the gospel? Right? Very minimal sacrifice in your life. In fact, you put up a wall. 
You do you. You do me. It's just my family. We got to be comfortable. But wonder living, wonder living propels you to the unknown, propels you to trust. It, it called Abraham out. And the scripture says he had no idea where he was going. <laughs> the Bible said, Abraham, God just said, Abraham, go. Abraham's like, I don't even know where I'm going to go, but I'm just going to go. It was wonder living. He was a sojourner. He was traveling. God said, this is your land. God told him, this is your land. And you know what? Abraham laid and sat in his land, even though it wasn't his. He put up tents in a place that God told him it would be his, but it wasn't his in that moment. It was just wonder living. He was believing. He was trusting. He was walking. The gospel. The gospel. Are you with me? Yeah. Last thing I want to say, and we're going we're gonna to sing, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to bless you on your way. That rhymed. Amen? Just went to a poetry thing last night, so I think it's just going in there. So this year, I made a New Year's resolution, amen? And I made a New Year's resolution to randomly surprise my wife with gifts once a month. Yeah. That's why I did it, thanks. <laughs> but listen, uh, so I, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna choose like random dates. And I didn't tell her because I, I wanted to see the wonder in her eyes. Like I wanted her to feel the unexpected love in that moment. Um, and again, I, I didn't do this to make her love me more. <laughs> I didn't do it to get something. I didn't do it to make her love me. Um, I did this simply because I wanted her to know how much I love her. Um, I wanted her to know that I find some of my deepest joy in her wonder. Like I find that in her eyes, in her smile. I find joy in that. You don't have to give anything back. Um, seeing her surprised by unexpected gifts, like did exactly that. I won't tell you how well this resolution went. You know, the first couple of months I was going good, right? Um, I was, that's not in my nose, but I had to be honest. You know, some of you still thinking, man, you're still doing that. I was like, I, I made a couple of mistakes, right? But, but, you know, there was this, this wonder there. There was this surprise. And, you know, one, one month I, I, I got her something for her nails because she likes to get her manicure, med, whatever, medipedi, whatever you call that thing. Write, write something special in a card. Next month, get her a dress. Do just these different things. And um, just I enjoyed the, the unexpected joy that came from that gift. You see, we, we do things, right? Husbands and wives, right? We do things sometimes in our relationships to try and bring back the wonder, don't we? Don't we? Um, and, and can I just say this? It, it's, it's not that we're not in love. It's just that life has a tendency to get very routine. Can you, you hear that again? Can you hear that? Anyone feeling, if you're feeling condemned today because you're not in a place you need to be with Jesus, can I just say this? It's not that I don't love my wife. It's just that life has happened. We've sinned against each other. And as things have happened, it's gotten too routine. Right? We have a tendency to default to complacency. We're lazy. We're tired. We don't want to sacrifice. Now, in the same way, Sin has a way of defaulting us back into wage living where the gospel ceases to amaze us and everything about our relationship with Christ seems colorless, stale, and dry. 
And a lot of us think, well, I'm feeling colorless. I'm feeling stale. I'm feeling dry. So I got to pray more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to go to church more. But that doesn't work. You know why? Because all of those things are works. That's where some of you have left Christ because you were here and you did more works, more works, more works, more works, and nothing changed. And you said to yourself, you're supposed to change. Well, that's because you were trying to find transformation in your own power. When the reality was the goal wasn't to go to works. The goal was to go back to wonder, to allow the gospel to captivate you once again and to realize I don't live for anybody else but for Christ. So when you find yourself stale, when you find yourself dry, when you find yourself complacent, when you find yourself that you've left Christ or you find yourself in a place where everything is not working, that's because you're doing the work. I want you to stop trying to fix things and stop being condemned that you're not doing things and to start looking at the gospel so that you can recover your wonder because what has happened to you is not that sin has got a hold of you, it has, but it's that you've lost the wonder of the gospel. You know why you're lazy and complacent? It's because the gospel is not beautiful to you anymore. You know why you're unwilling to step out in faith again? It's because the gospel is not beautiful to you anymore. You know why you're not willing to uh, forgive? Because the gospel is not beautiful to you. Lost our wonder. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to say a prayer for you. If you're sitting in this room and you feel like you're in that place where wonder has ceased and the gospel just is not as beautiful as it used to be to you anymore, you haven't thought about it, you've been thinking about everything else, And so we're going to pray. Before we do that, we're going to worship. And here's what we do. As we worship, I'm going to invite you just to take inventory of your life. And then I'm going to pray. And then we'll dismiss together. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.